Hello and a huge welcome to the Christmas 2023 edition of the Scottish Roadscast, a podcast all about roads, bridges and motorways. I'm Stuart Baird and I'm joined by my fantastically festive co-host, John Hassel. Hello, John. Hi, Stuart. It's good to be here. And Duncan McKnight. Hello, Duncan. Hello, Stuart. How are you doing? Not bad. So you're both doing very well. We're recording this Christmas special podcast remotely, so we're all in different locations. Mm -hmm. Yes. Remotely again at Christmas. Mm -hmm. Hopefully the technology works well for us and doesn't let us all down. But we do have a very exciting Christmas special lined up for you this year, as we always do in December. Christmas music, Christmas sound effects, and two reasonably decent co-hosts here with me as well. Even Santa might make a cameo, we don't know. You never know. You never know. So, gents, tell me both, then, what we're going to be talking about this year. John, you first. What are you going to be talking about? Well, since it's Christmas, sure, uh, it's the season to be jolly, but it's also the season for gritting. So I'm going to be talking about uh, roads, winter maintenance. So what we what that. It's a Ooh, very yeah. interesting yeah. topic. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah, sure you guys will have lots of questions for me about it, but I'll have some questions for you. So, um, Ah, good. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the listeners will have lots of questions for you once you've given them this <laughs> overview as well. That <laughs> might, you might be asked back to do a follow-up. You never know. You never know. <laughs> never know. <laughs> and Mr. McKnight, what are you going to be talking about this year? Well, uh, we're going to be crossing the border uh, this podcast because we're going to be discussing the M6 motorway south from oh. Gretna. Oh. We've got a lot of information about it, so I thought for Christmas, let's do something a bit different. Let's talk about the M6. So we're going to be running down the M6 down through England. So hopefully, we'll be quite interested. That is that. a lovely Christmas present, actually, because we've never spoken about the M6 unless we've been speaking about Ooh. the M74. Yeah, which we've spoken about a bit, but this is. This is going to be deep diving into the the openings of all the all the different sections. So I'm looking forward to be amazed. To yeah. Okay. Sounds good to me. And I know from the social media interactions we've had with people that there is a genuine affection for the northern sections of the M6. So I'm sure people will be pretty interested in what you've got to say. Uh, we will also have some time for some questions from some of the listeners, and then we're going to give you a wee preview about what we're going to be doing in 2024, and maybe a few thank yous to various people at the end so i don't think we'll hang about any longer then mr mcknight you drew the short straw so you're going first coming to me first Um, oh wow coming to you first first, yes absolutely so tell us about the m6 the m6 okay let's get going so the m6 longest uk motorway 230 miles uh it is the main link through the northwest of england and it links up to scotland 75% 75% of cross-border traffic uses the M6 and the M74, and it was built to replace the A6, uh, the trunk road from England up to up to Scotland. That's a key part of the motorway project, you know, the big construction of the motorways way back in the 50s. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the M6 from Gretna down to Warrington. So that's junction 44 to 20, and that in, that's basically goes as far as what is the M56. Because, you know... If you go down the M74, you're going to go on to the M6. And, you know, we, we do know that a lot of people have driven down the M6 in the olden days and even today. So we thought, why don't we why don't we discuss it? And also we've got we've got a fair bit of booklets and things 
about we, the sections of the M6. Yeah. The archive has been pretty fortunate to acquire booklets for all these sections in the last couple of years. So, mm. yeah, it makes sense to talk about it. I should say as well, you said you're only doing it at Junction 44. Does that mean the poor Cumberland Gap section is getting missed out in this occasion? Oh, I'm so sorry. Junction 45, I meant. from Gre- Junction 45 at the end of the motorway all the way down. That's all right. We'll let you off with that before the listeners would be panicking there because they'll be thinking, hang on, what about this last bit that got built that everybody loves to moan about? It's a key bit, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Again, we've got a lot of opening booklets, so we thought we'd we'd speak about it. Uh, I need to give wee thanks, a wee shout out to a chap called Jim Clark. Uh, He sent uh, the Carlisle Bypass booklet over for us for scanning and a Preston Bypass opening booklet as well. Thank you very much to him for getting that sent over. That was fantastic to read and they're fantastic booklets so i've, I've had a look at at least one of them properly and uh, that they're brilliant so thank you for that yeah very well produced yeah maybe not just as good with the quote as the the sort of a quality of some of the scottish ones i noticed they're a bit dry they're quite they're, they're quite technical booklets yeah. but it's a lot of the scottish ones we have are very much aimed at the public yes they talk about the jolly journey of constructing yeah um, a lot no, of paragraphs fantastic. about soils you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes, which is yes, always good exactly. fun to learn about. <laughs> anyway, and you know, you, you and you should have given me a warning, Mister McKnight, that this topic was coming up, and we could have renamed ourselves the English Roadscast for this one special Christmas. The UK Roadscast and, and lose UK all and our listeners. Ireland, yeah, yeah, that's that's what we need to do. We'll go through <laughs> yeah. another rebranding and become the UK Roads Archive. At this, my break. goodness, yeah, that'll be that'll be the next step. <laughs> anyway, Mister McKnight, little, you continue with your M six. Yeah, just a little special here, so. A wee bit of background. So the A6 uh, was the trunk road that ran up uh, up to Scotland. It ran from Luton originally. It run, starts somewhere else now up to Carlisle, and it is the fourth longest road in the UK, and it runs through Lancashire and Cumbria. And like these roads in the 50s, it was slow and it was congested. Uh, and it was the main link to Scotland. And it was mostly single carriageway. It does does have a bit of duelling on it, but it's the northern bits is mostly two lanes. It passed through places such as Carlisle, Penrith, Kendall, Lancashire and Preston with no real bypasses. Uh, There was little Joe Cradgery. There was lots of three lane sections of the road built in the 20s and 30s. Uh, And Indeed, if you drive along the A6 uh, south from Carlisle, you will drive along a lot of very wide sections of the road that used to be three lanes in each direction. Um, particularly up to the Shap Summit, um, there was a lot of three-lane sections, and this section was vulnerable to the weather, and it was often closed due to the snow. So you're starting to get a sort of quite a familiar picture of we had this old-fashioned road, and with the growth in traffic, it really was not, it wasn't really you know suitable anymore. Uh, so a special road bypassing the A6, and that was proposed in the late mid to late 1930s. Uh, by Lancashire County Council. Now, so, so Lancashire County Council are around the Lancaster and Preston area. Uh, these are this, and this was led by a chap called Sir James Drake, and he was keen to advance uh, plans for bypasses. Uh, World War Two kind of propo- postponed a lot of these developments, but work began in the fifties at uh, Preston. So, a wee bit about James Drake. He was the county surveyor for Lancashire Council. And he was one of 200 civil engineers to visit Germany in 1937 and experience the construction of the autobahns uh, in the late 1930s because Germany was the second country in the world to have motorways. The first one was Italy. Uh, Funnily enough, the first Italian motorway is now part of the A9. So isn't that funny? (laughs) (laughs) 
It was written in the stars, Duncan. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, after James Drake had seen this, he returned to the UK and he published a road plan for Lancashire in 1949. And he pushed the Ministry of Transport hard for bypasses of the A6, particularly around Preston, Lancashire, all these the bigger areas. Um, and the result of this is, apart from Preston and Lancaster bypasses, bypasses, it was all constructed as dual three lanes with hard shoulders, and it was all mostly finished up this end in 1971, which is, you know, compared to what we were doing in Scotland, we were getting going, but they were proper, England was proper speeding ahead, but they had more traffic. Yeah, so they, they were almost finished. And I guess even at that time, there was a demand for traffic movements from north to south, heading towards Scotland, heading towards the northwest yeah. of England and beyond. So it's understandable that they would probably look to do that. Although we should point out that our upgrade of the A74 probably predated their upgrade yes. of the A6 yes. in the sense that from the from the dual carriageway point of view. That's one of the, one of the things. Yeah, we started dueling the A74 in the late 30s. And we just carried on with it in the 50s, whereas England were saying, no, we'll just start again from, from scratch. So that's why we kind of had dual carriage A74 motorway M, M6. It's, it's interesting. I suppose given, yeah. given the traffic projections they were getting, it obviously was justified for them to build it as dual three-lane motorway all the way yeah. up. Although I seem to remember, Duncan, from, from some of my own research, was there not sections of the M6 dual two yes. originally? Yes, yeah. there were indeed. Um, again, the Ministry of Transport were... They were keen to uh, construct new roads, but they weren't going to give all the money to Lancashire. So they said, well, we'll build it as dual two for the time being. But what they did on these dual two lane sections uh, was build them with very wide central reservations. And so within 10 years, we had used the central reservation and built a third lane in each direction. So they were they were future-proofing it, you know, because they knew that dual three lane, that's probably what makes the motorway the most functional. So it's all thanks to basically Sir James Drake and the pushing of these guys. The M1 was made like three lanes, so it makes sense. Am I right in saying yeah. this one section is dual two lane that comes to mind famously is the Preston Bypass when it opened? Yes, it was dual two. That was that was that was a guinea pig motorway. So we were, you know, it was dual two lane, um, but it was again central reservation wide enough for three lanes. So, so yeah. you know, we we got that done. Right, so are you going to take us through the individual contracts then? Yes. And are you going to do it from north to south or south to north? We're going to go north to south. Okay. So we're going to come off the E74M and we're going to transfer onto the M6. So the first section that you go onto is actually the newest section of the M6. And uh, this is Carlisle to Gretna, but it's known in the contract as Carlisle to Guards Mill. Um, so this runs from Junction 44 to Junction 45. And uh, Capita Simons and the Highways Agency were kind of involved with the design of this. And it was built by Carillion Construction. So what this was, was historically the A74 started in Carlisle. And it ran up to and ran north from there. And the A6 ended in Carlisle. So naturally, the M6 ended at what was Junction 44. And following on from the Carlisle Bypass, we dueled the A74 rather than building a motorway because we were already dueling the A74. Uh, so that's how that's how that's come about. And this little bit of A74 from Junction 45 to 44 uh, was going to be upgraded in the 90s, but given the reorganization in the 90s, which we've spoken about, it was delayed, but eventually came on and it was opened on the 5th of December 2008. And this was known as the Cumberland Gap. 
I believe that opening date was deliberate to coincide with the 50th anniversary of the completion of the Preston Bypass. Yeah, 50 right? years to the day we uh, Preston Bypass opened that bit. That bit opened. It was quite, it was quite I funny. I remember driving down to see it when it opened within a few days. Did you get an opening booklet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. Was there any, were there any produced for that section? I don't, I don't think know. for that section, no, because it was just yeah. widening what was there. Uh, because mm-hmm. the, the A seventy four, I think it was dual two lanes with sort of small hard shoulders, which in the yeah. booklet they say is motorway standard, but it was a bit lower spec than say the M seventy four. So it was a wee bit 70s different. Seventies motorway standard, maybe. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I know they had some issues with the Moss Band Viaduct as well um, over the is it the River Esk? River Esk. Um, I think there was a sh- yeah parallel bridge built alongside the original bridge. The original. Uh, 1970 which is still there so we've just doubled it up and that's i think the old one takes the northbound carriageway and the 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 all-purpose road is that right i mm-hmm. think so we so we yeah and there is a little there's, there's a little monument a little plaque somewhere along that that has the opening dates on i need to go and have a look for that that's uh, i was going to say Duncan, have you not sniffed that one out yet is our resident not yet, finder. No. it's yeah, quite far john and i have used We've used the parallel road. We have. Um, mm-hmm. When when we did a, a day trip down there quite a while ago and, and went from end to end. So it is, it is an interesting one. So, Doug, just go back to the old original bridge then. So the original metal bridge or whatever it was at Boss Band, that's long since gone now. Yes, it was built by, I think, Telford built the original sort of proper bridge. And then when we dueled the road, we built another one. So it's, you know, we've kept, we've kept two of them with the motorway upgrade. That's got huge. And, uh, and that's the one that's visible in the opening booklet, the, yes, the one that you've the said the same widened. So, yeah. 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 Well, uh, we'll get a copy of this opening booklet online so the listeners can go on and have a So you can have, have a, wee, look. a wee Christmas gift to you. Mm. Exactly. Uh, we've also got Todd Hill's rest area, which is, I think, quite a rare thing. We mostly don't have rest areas on the motorway network. We just have services. But this is a proper rest area. So there's, there's the wee thing. So it's not out. classed mm-hmm. as a services, is it? It's a rest it's area. It's not motorway, so it's a rest area. Mm-hmm, totally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at Junction 44, you then join the Carlisle Bypass. And this mm. is one of the older, older bits. So Cumberland County Council were the main designer of this. And this was built by our friends Tarmac. And this was officially opened on the 15th of December, 1970. And just this runs from Junction 44 to Junction 42, and it included the dueling of the A74 from Junction 44 to just beyond the railway bridge south of Gretna. So it, the dueling was extended along there in 1973 with Carlisle Bypass, and that dueled that whole bit. So they dueled almost all of it, but left a little bit. So, so yeah, that's that's Carlisle. That that's interesting then. So on, on the Carlisle Bypass and mm-hmm. on that dueling of the of the A74, so was that mostly an online dueling of the A74 line at that point? I'm looking at the maps. As far as I can tell, yes, it was mostly online. Uh, I know when they built the motorway upgrade, there was a new railway bridge constructed off the line of the original one. You can still kind of see where the old one was, but that's that's what that was that's what that was put there. Interesting. Any hints that they ever intended to to upgrade that that section to motorway, or is it was it just going to be dual carriageway and that was it? Oh, I think it was just going to be dual carriageway. But I am assuming when the A seventy four project got underway, they said we'll do this bit as well because it seems a bit silly mm-hmm. having this little gap. But of course, yeah. we had troubles getting all that all that bit finished. But mm-hmm. hey, okay. it all looks good now. 
Interesting. Mm. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Carry on. So south from there, we've got Carlisle to Penrith. And again, this was the County Council of Cumberland. And it was Dowsett Engineering Limited who constructed this bit. Not one I've heard of before. And it was officially opened on the 1st of July, 1971. Run, runs from Junction 42 to 41. So it's just a sort of a big sort of five-odd mile section that joins up, mm-hmm. joins up okay. that bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are services along here. We've got Southwaite Services. And it was one of the last bits of the M6 to actually open. I think the M6 was finished in 1972 with Spaghetti Junction. That was the last bit. These are the last of sort of the bigger bits to be uh, constructed. So, yeah. So this this bit's quite funny. This is included in the Carlisle Bypass opening booklet, this section, because it was one of the later bits. So like a single project. So so they've treated the whole thing really from Pen uh, from Penrith up to the border as a single big project, but with multiple contracts. And split it up a within bit. It. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. a very pragmatic way of doing something like that so that you mm. actually get it built. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You you mentioned Southweight Services there. Is it just me, or do they really have to be one of the most miserable services <laughs> in the whole of the UK? Anyone else? Um, Maybe I I've not stopped because I always stop it. I always stop at Gretna. I don't know about you, John. I think you stop at Gretna as well. But I'm always yeah. Gretna generally it's just how, how big's my bladder. That's what I think when doing services, and it's it's it's, it's Gretna big, so uh, that's where I generally stop, to be honest with you. But um, mm. no, um, Southway, I've, I've I've been to those services before, um, but I'd say they're better than Bothwell. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, controversial point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, services okay. special. We've got an idea. I'm going to get that <laughs> in my little book. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, so carrying on from there, we've got the Penrith Bypass. And this runs from Junction 41 to to a temporary connection at Hackthorpe. And it's the only bit that I know of that kind of ended at what we would know as a temporary terminus. The other ones, I think, either ended at the roundabouts, so the slip roads flared off before it was extended. But this is the one with the temporary terminus. And it's got a wee diagram of it in the booklet. It looks really wacky. But that's, that's not so there any anymore. evidence of that on the ground now? I mean, the beauty of doing these uh, remotely, by the way, is we can follow Google Maps as you're talking, Duncan. So it's mm-hmm. terrific. But is there much evidence of that left on the ground? No. It's gone? None. It's just a big grassy verge. You've got the motorway on one side and the A6 on the other. It's okay. just beyond one of the, the A6 goes over the M6 heading south and it um, it terminated around there. But there's no there's no evidence of that at all. Okay. Okay. I think it was all it was all landscaped. So I know this section because this is where uh, Junction 40 for the A66 is here as well. Yes, we've got the junction for the A66. That There was a bit of dueling built for the A66 as part of this contract. Okay. So if you, head, if you head east on the A66, you've got about two miles of dueling and then it stops. Yes. That's a common feature of the A66. But uh, that was built uh, along with uh, this this bypass. Um the, I have a small extract from the opening booklet, which should hopefully give us a bit more background details about this. So uh, it was not until July 1962 when the traffic volumes had increased to 25,000 vehicles per day that the Minister of Transport invited Cumberland County Council to carry out the survey of the route and the preparation of the final scheme. 14 different possible routes were considered before the chosen line was finally selected. So you got to, in Scotland, we think 24,000 vehicles a day may go, oof. That's quite a bit, but this is what mm. 1962, and we're getting 24,000 vehicles a day 
through Penrith. That's that's big flows even today. That's pretty heavy flows going up there. Yeah, I mean, so if then, we look at our equivalent studies up here, we were probably looking at nineteen seventy five, nineteen eighty before we were hitting those kind of figures. So hmm. you can see that they were also well ahead of the curve when it came to traffic growth and, and yeah. whatnot, even at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ah, yeah, the temporary terminus as well. And so the next section south of there is a quite a big bit. This is Penrith Bypass to Lancaster Lancaster Bypass. And uh, oh, sorry, I didn't I didn't give you much details on Penrith there. Sorry, I've, I've jumped the gun. Poor Just go back. He's, he's yeah, so Penrith. excited. He's <laughs> ahead of I want to talk about the next bit, but we'll go back to Penrith. Sorry. Okay. Uh, this was built by Sir Alfred McAlpine and Sons and Leonard Fairclough. Working together, we know both of them. We know they are. And this opened on Penrith opened on the seventh of November, nineteen sixty-eight. So again, it was quite early on, but you know okay. they had the big tools. What was the junction numbers for that one, Duncan? Junction forty-one to the Hackthorpe temporary terminus. Right, so that was the other end of the other end of the terminus. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and that takes us down to Penrith. So does, does that take us down to the sixty-six? Basically, that's a, just that south of there. A, yeah, just yeah, south of there. So. And that would have been a, a popular route to use at that point, obviously across the uh, across the hills and Scotch Corner. Other end at Scotch yeah. Corner still yeah. is, yeah, yep, mm-hmm. yeah, very much so. John Duncan, you've maybe not got to this section yet. I seem to recall just south of Penrith that there are two ghost slip roads in the southbound carriageway. Um, was that an unbuilt service area or or a, an unbuilt junction or something of that type? That I'm quickly that getting up Google to, to check, but I'm thinking unbuilt service area uh whereabouts are you saying just south of junction which one was it so we've got junction 40 yeah next to clifton uh you've got clifton uh hall um and it's just very runs parallel to the to the a6 and uh just as you head south of there you'll see there's a, a southbound what looks like what would have been an off slip and then a, a few hundred yards later there's the equivalent of an on slip so I, I, that's that's annoyed me for years as to what that was going to be i guess it was probably as you say a service area that's just not came to be no doubt one of the listeners will know they can drop it in the chat and the in the, in the socials mm-hmm. uh, when we post this and they can let us know <laughs> i'll have to i'll reanalyze the opening booklets and see if see if there's anything there for you but your question will be answered Stuart. don't worry the english network is littered with examples like that they, they, Lots they of don't... empty service area, yes. roads lying, lying around, yeah. Uh, so so the next bit is from Penrith to Lancaster, and this runs from Hackthorpe Terminus to Junction 35, and this is around 35 miles of new motorway that all opened in one go. Uh, and this was designed not by the County Council, but by a consultant called Scott Wilson, Kirkpatrick and Partners, have we, have Never we heard, heard of Scott him. Wilson. Never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Scott Wilson, obviously famous with the Glasgow Highway Plan and some of the bits and pieces around there. And they also did this very early on. Uh, this was divided into about five sections. And um, we have, there was five contractors, well, four contractors given the five bits. So from Carnforth, so working south to north here, we've got Carnforth to Killington, that was WNC French Limited. Um, and then from Killington to T-Bay, that was John Lang Construction Limited. And then from T-Bay to Thrimby was Christiani Shand. And then from, oh. yeah, from Thrimby to Hackthorpe, we've got our friends Tarmac again. And this was officially opened on the 23rd of October, 1970. And this, I think, won the Saltire Award that year for that. 
that section is a very very well known section of the motorway it's very remote as well mm-hmm. I mean as far as the M6 it's probably the most rural of the M6 sections it's very scenic mm-hmm. I know they've got the, the kind of split carriageway areas but I suppose it is quite easy to build something like long like that when you're out in the yeah, open but it's nice and open mm-hmm. yeah is this the section that goes through the Loon Valley yes this goes through the Loon Gorge I have a bit of uh, technical detail I've extracted for some information there um, I think you should share that with us. Yes. Uh, <laughs> just a quick question for you, Stuart. Was uh, our friend John Cullen, was he involved with this section or was he aware of this section? He, he was He was certainly aware of it. And I believe, and again, some of the Scott Wilson guys who listen will probably put me right. I think Glasgow office might have had a wee bit of involvement in this. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been led by Basingstoke. However, um someone will put me right. I know we've got the opening booklet as well. It probably says in there. Yeah. But I know certainly the guys in Scott Wilson had an awareness of this scheme and were quite chuffed with it. Because like you say, it was a very long commission. Yes. Uh, I think this was one of those commissions, uh, like you say, that you know it was quite early on. There was quite a lot of involvement, close working with the various local authorities and, and others. Um, but I mean, 35 miles as a single stretch of motorway opening in one day, that must rank amongst the biggest lengths of motorway to open one go in Britain. I mean, obviously the M1 was, what, 70 miles or 70 something miles, in the first yeah. section? That was in one so, go. So, you know, it's nowhere near that, but it's certainly longer than most contracts. That it was more, more challenging to build, stage. I would say, than the M1. Much more challenging. Mm-hmm. And I have extracted some bits and pieces from the booklet, so sit back and hear some technical details. So so this is about the Killington to T-Bay section to the Loon, the Loon Gorge. Uh, through most of the gorge and in the southern approach to it, the carriageways are stepped with a vertical separation of about 30 feet. This extends over a distance of three and a half miles when the carriageways come together again for the crossing of a side valley at Borrowdale, which is bridged via viaduct 450 feet long. The passage of the gorge entails rock cuts totaling about 1 million cubic yards, the largest being at Jeffrey's Mount, where cuttings up to 50 feet high enable the motorway and the A685 to be lodged above the railway. The excavated rock is incorporated in the motorway fills and helps to keep these clear of the railway embankments. Do you notice it's hard up against the railway there? Because I think there were there were a number of options uh, on the table for this, but I think they were even talking about these these things that we don't build very much called tunnels for this, oh, this yes. section of the motorway. But they decided, let's just uh, run it along the railway and follow it. Because, you know, you speak to the old engineers, the railway picked the best course. And so they kind of fitted around well, alongside. But you have that local road as well. And I can see exactly what you're talking about now. And it's all too common. It's hard up against it. You know? Yeah. And then another bit of detail from T-Bay to Thrimby. So this is north of the services. So, so north of T-Bay, the route climbs steadily over open fells to an altitude of 1,040 feet at a saddle in the moors near Shap. Just north of the saddle, a diamond-type interchange provides a connection to the A6 and the stone quarries in the Shap area. The motorway re- remains relatively level for about three miles and then descends a broad ridge to level out at Thrimby at an altitude of 800 feet. On the open fells north of T-Bay, the carriageways separate up to a distance of 800 feet apart. This separation ends for extends for four miles, and the northbound carriageway climbs at a steady one in seventy eight gradient uh, for three and a half miles. The southbound carriageway having a variable downhill grade. The carriageway never realised that was 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 so long. That's yeah, what it's I mean, it was long, but not that long. Yeah, eight hundred feet. Yeah, it's very impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the carriageways come together for the saddle and interchange, but separate again to the north, where in this case, the southbound carriageway is climbing and is maintained at a constant grade of 
2.19% for a distance of one and a half miles. The high open ground on this section of the motorway is subject to severe snow drifts and the slopes of cuts and fills are flattened to provide a streamlined cross section. Separated carriageways also facilitate snow clearance and where the carriageways are brought together, a central reserve width of 30 feet is provided. So there you go. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because this is like sections of the Scottish network where historically they were very badly affected by snow and poor weather in the winter. But nowadays it's actually so rare that when it does happen, it's a big thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Whereas that would have been a routine thing every winter, and even in the 70s, possibly even in the 80s. But nowadays, God, with the way climate change and whatnot's been affecting us, mm-hmm. I, you just don't hear about these particular problems on, yeah. in these areas. It's the same as like, you know, like thinking about like Betook Summit on the A74, M74 now, um, it's a, a one in 10 year thing, yeah. if even that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's weird. Interesting. It's weird we'll cover more on yet. winter later, though. Uh, yeah, so, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to take any of the thunder there, John. But, uh, no, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, Coming up to my favourite services. services. Yeah. yeah, we do have some services along here. We've got T-Bay, uh, yep. we've got Killington Services, Southbound, and Burton and Kendall as well. So we've got three big services along here. I like T-Bay. T-Bay's quite good. It's overpriced. Uh, very busy and overrated, but I really like um, <laughs> Killington Lake. Killington Lake is a very, very nice service. Um, even if you're not buying anything, it's got a lovely view out there by the reservoir. It's only yeah. southbound, though, and it's not that well known about because a lot of people, oh, we've got to go to T-Bay and get ripped off. So they go there first, and then Killington is only two. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's that tickle you, sorry. Uh, it's yeah, it's only... <laughs> It's not far away from T-Base, so it generally yeah. gets kind of forgotten about. Yeah. But yes. Sorry. But there is ample services along the M6, just to point out. There is services there every is. Sort of 20 or so miles, so there's plenty of places to yeah. stop. Yeah, spoiled for choice in the M6. It's actually really helpful, that, because, like, you know, there are long sections between major towns, cities, whatnot. It is good that you know that if you missed one, that the next one is only 15, 20 minutes away. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 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 pretty decent. I think that must be the best... The M6 must be the best motorway for the frequency of services. Is it? I mean, the M1's got a few. M1 or A1, you could argue in A1's some ways right, yeah. um, as well. It's got quite a lot. Uh-huh. But uh, for, for, a, for a motorway, I think M6, yeah, it's, it's never let mm-hmm. me down. It's never too long. Yeah. And then you go, you go up to Scotland and you're lucky if there's a, a, a good-sized lay-by for you. You know, it's how things change when you go north. <laughs> some, <laughs> some of them are okay. Yeah. Anyway... So south of there, we join the Lancaster Bypass. So the Lancaster Bypass runs Junction 35 to Junction 33. Um, we're now in the territory of Lancashire County Council. So we're now in with, uh, who was led by Sir James Drake. We've spoken about him. And Lancaster Bypass was built by Sir Lindsay Parkinson and Company Limited. And it was opened on the 11th of April, 1960. And it was actually quite an old bit, this. This was, um, I think top 10 early motorways in England was this section. Um, and this was constructed as dual two lanes with a wide central reserve and discontinuous hard shoulders over the bridges. Now, the Ministry of Transport uh, were keen to give uh, the county money to build these roads, but they weren't going to give them all of it because they were maybe thinking they were over-exaggerating a wee bit. So we said, all right, all right. We'll not give you money to do all the hard shoulders, but you can have your wide central reserve, which, of course, you're never going to use for a third lane. And little 10 years later, we finally constructed a third lane. Um, I know this bit because it's got the very, very long straight sections on it. Has it got all the, it's mm-hmm. a bit where there's all these overbridges and you can see them all lined up. Yep. 
So that's in like one of the bypass, isn't yeah. It? In one of the opening booklets of the Lancashire sections, it says there are approximately 174 bridges over the motorway, but no two of them are identical. That's madness from a bridge maintenance point of view. That is crazy. I know, but it's it's quite exciting. What's your favourite bridge on the M6 at Lancashire? Give let us know because there's there's that one that's a big there's a big chunky one that slopes down. There's one with the sort of the narrow pillars. It's all there's so many. There's so many. Sure. And this was of course that that yellow one. There's a yellow brick. Yeah, there's a yellow one. These were all painted in colours to make the motorway attractive and not boring. That was kind of the idea. Um, because they thought, oh, it's just quite straight. So it'll make the bridges quite funky and exciting. Um, but there are some iconic bridges along that stretch. Uh, some of them have made even paintings and things as well recently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, pretty interesting. Even if they're all different, which is not great from a maintenance point of view, <laughs> it certainly helps from an interest and aesthetic point of view. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Um, so again, it has discontinuous shoulders. Now, these were originally... These were not hard shoulders. These were these soft verges that were constructed at, uh, at the side of the motorway. So these were just kind of sandy stuff that was put at the side. And these didn't work very well because if big vehicles went into them, if they had issues, they would sink into the sand and they would be more difficult to get out. So I think in the 19, later on in the 1960s, early 1970s, they paved the shoulders of Lancashire and they did um, Preston Bypass as well because that had soft, soft shoulders. Um, there has been some work done recently in 2016 at the River Loon, uh, the A683 around Lancaster. That was a new distributor road, I think, that was built, and it terminated on near the M6. So they connected it onto the M6. They modified the junction, and they built a great big bridge on the River Loon next to the motorway there. So you can see that as you're, as you're going along. Uh, and another wee sabery thing is that the northern, northern end of the Lancaster Bypass it ended at junction 35, but it didn't end above the motorway. It sort of swung to the left and ended, terminated on the A6 at a roundabout. And when the M6 was ascended north in the 70s, this little orphaned bit of barely a mile dual carriageway was um, numbered as the M6. So it was a little spur of the M6. And then a single carriageway section was built off this roundabout to overkelt quarries in 1987, and this was numbered as the A601M, and this was a single carriageway motorway, one of these rare things. John, you know about this nerdy <laughs> so tell us, tell us about it. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I happen to know about nerdy things like that, and in fact, yeah. Stuart, you might remember we drove on uh, this single carriageway section. And you, I'm going to just nod and say yes, we, we did. did. And <laughs> you you were quite underwhelmed by it, uh, but it, it was it was true. It was a single carriageway uh, motorway, which is very very strange. So Carnwell hmm. Spur. Yeah. It, Duncan, do we have a photograph of this terminus or this this end this junction um, in the archive? We do have some visual a few pictures of it. I'm assuming these are John Cullen's pictures or these are some of the Scott Wilson stuff that we've had, but we do have some pictures. Can I not watermark one of these recently for you in yes, the last few days? Yes, it should be yeah. on social media. So you can have a wee look at that, about this early section of the M6. Yeah. Um, the A601M, just to carry on, doesn't exist anymore. It was downgraded in 2018, 19, um, because they wanted to redevelop along along the single carriageway, but I think they've got a new de- car dealership along there. So they removed the motorway, the motorway restriction. So it's not a motorway anymore, but there are, there's still some signs hanging about that say what it was. So there you go. 
Okay. Oh, yeah. So there's yeah. some people quite saddened by the loss of the Columbus. Oh, I know. Right, so what's next? South of there, we've got Lancaster to Preston. And this was, again, Lancashire County Council, and it was built by Sir Alfred McAlpine and sons and Leonard Fairclough again. So the two guys working together. Open 29th of January 1965, runs junction 33 to 32. So it is it is quite a sort of a remote section. There's not much else going on. The main feature of this, and this is one of the ones that I quite like, is this was constructed with a 10 and a half inch thick reinforced concrete pavement. <laughs> uh, this lasted just over 20 years. It was removed in 1985. And another landmark along here, quite a famous landmark, is Fortin Services. The yes. one with the big 1960s tower. My absolute favourite services anywhere in the world. Yeah. Yep. Built by William Eaves and Co. and Sir Alpha McAlpine. Built that as well. Isn't the tower called the Pennine Tower? Or is that something different? Uh, I think it's Fortin, Pennine, it's whatever, it's whatever some, you want. Something it, was, it was Pennine Tower, and was it not the Pennine Tower restaurant, which was yeah. at, the, at yes. the top of it? You I could think. go up yeah. to the top and you could have your lunch, your lobster and thermidor and all this stuff, and your your champagne with views across the motorway. How fantastic would that have been? It would be sublime, Duncan, but why can't we do that now? Do you know why they, they don't redevelop it up there? I know the reason. It's a re- you know, lobster thermidor <laughs> is expensive, so they did eventually go down to more traditional <laughs> more traditional service area food. And yeah, there was something to do with fire safety. So Correct. Can't, the, the tower's not open anymore, but do you know so, why that tower's there in the first place, John? No. It was there because they couldn't advertise the location, their, the services, really. I think there, there was okay. a rule about advertisement. So they said, well, we'll build this big, big tower. And so people go, oh, what's that? And go in, rather than having all these signs saying, stop here and buy Fantastic. this, whatever. So I think but that it works, because certainly as a, you know, as a kid, when I went by, I was like, oh, we've got to stop there, that, that airport-looking thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is cool. I do like it. I do like it. Uh, and this takes us on to Preston Bypass, Genesis, Motorway Genesis. This is the first section of Motorway to open in the UK. First section, Junction 29 to Junction 32, included a small section of the M55 that connected onto the A6, so it sort of kinked round at the top and ended in the A6, and that was that was extended in when they built the M55. Uh, it was constructed, again like Lancaster, with dual two lanes uh, with a wide central uh, reserve for widening and discontinuous hard shoulders at the bridges. Um, designed by Lancashire County Council, and it was constructed by Tarmac, who built the first UK motorway. Fantastic. Uh, 5th of December 1958, officially opened officially opened to traffic. Now, there... He, Again, it had soft shoulders, so these were hardened up in the late 60s, I think early 70s. They paved them all, so they now they work as shoulders. It was, again, widened to three lanes. But I think we had, at the south end of the bypass, we had the M61 joining on, and then we had the road to Blackpool. So this bit in the middle round Preston was very busy. It was a very busy motorway. And there were a number of studies done in the late 90s about what can we do because I think there was pretty awful congestion going around this because it was still three lanes but it was very very overloaded Mm. with three lanes I remember and throughout the 90s it was all widened between junction 30 and 32 was upgraded and rebuilt to dual four lanes so it's a new motorway basically the old one's gone and we built this this more modern section opened 
completed around October 1995, the widening. Um, so that's basically, yeah, you drive along there. It doesn't look like it did in 1958, but it's, um, it's, it's interesting. There's a big plaque at Junction is it 31 with the... Is it the River Ribble Bridge? There's a big plaque yeah, underneath the, the River Bridge there. It's well worth seeing. It's across for the Shell petrol station yep, and the wee services yep. that are off the motorway, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a little there's a plaque BP, there. Remember. Yep, there's a little plaque there when the bypass turned 50. And there's one one of these Blue Heritage ones, I think, or engineering ones for James Drake as well. So there's about four plaques in that in that area. So it's worth a worth a wee visit. Nice one. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely worth stopping at if you're coming back up the road or down the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, um, the bypass opened in 1958. It famously closed about six weeks later in January 59 due to frost damage. I think there was the water got in and cracked the surface or it did something to the top layer. So they took the decision to close it. Well publicized in the press at that time that we've opened this motorway or oh, we've closed it again. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, and also another little feature of this is there is one surviving overbridge over the motorway just south of the M61 interchange at Brindle Road. There was one original 1958 overbridge. Uh, you know it's original because the hard shoulders don't fit under it. And it's uh, about okay. 60 odd years old now, but it's still there I at Brindle see, Road. I want to see this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking for it now. It's very, very 50s. It's very, very 50s if you look at it. Oh, fantastic. Just south of the yeah. 61 in the change. Oh, terrific. But it's good to know. So, is that, I know yeah, it changed absolutely. all recognition when it was upgraded in the 90s. Yeah. Much. But, John, do you know? Do you remember much about the old bypass or do you remember the widening works when you were on your very, travels? Very, very young. It must have happened. I don't know when it was. I certainly wasn't driving at the time. It was about 95 when they did it. Well, my, I remember my dad lamenting it um, being particularly bad at this section and then saying at one point late in the 90s or, or the early noughties when we went down there, thank goodness they've sorted this out. But it's still actually very busy to this day. The Preston Bypass, even at Dual 4, is very busy. It's had those concrete-style gantries on it as well. I remember it had mm-hmm. uh, similar to what we had on like the M73, M74. Yep. Yeah, yeah they, did. they did. So... Last section that we're going to be talking about, then our sort of knowledge runs out, is Preston to Thelwall. So this was the last bit. This runs from Junction 29 to Junction 20, and that's basically where the M56 around the Liverpool area crosses over the motorway. Uh, This included Thelwall Viaduct, and this was designed by Lancashire County Council. Uh, Sir Alfred McAlpine and Sons built the motorway. Uh, Thelwall was built by Leonard Fairclough, and there's another big one called Garthurst, and that's A. Monk and Co. built that one. And this was opened on the 29th of July, 1963. Big opening event. There's some pictures and a wee bit of video, I think, online of the opening event. Uh, there was a lot of lot of publicity about this. Um, so the, the main feature of this is the Thelwall Viaduct. And uh, it goes over the river, and I think it goes over the canal. It's a huge viaduct, this. Manchester um, Ship Canal, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I've taken a wee extract about some some detail about it so the bridge at Thelwall was the largest bridge then constructed on a british motorway it carries the m6 over the manchester ship canal and the river mersey it is 4417 foot long which is around 1.3 kilometers has 36 spans and rises to a height of 93 feet above the canal so it's this big big structure now it was constructed like the rest bits with dual three lanes with no hard shoulder, and by, I think, the 1980s and the 90s, 
there was, again, severe congestion on it because north of the viaduct is the M62 and south of the viaduct is uh, the M56. So you can imagine there was a lot of uh, cross traffic going along there and there was pretty horrific congestion. And there was, again, a lot of studies done, but the decision was taken to widen the M6 to dual four lanes between the M62 and the M56. And this basically involved a parallel viaduct built alongside the original one by AMEC Civil Engineering. And this was completed Mm -hmm. around December 1996. I don't know if you, again, you guys remember any of that. Again, remember that. I do remember yeah, that. Yeah, definitely remember that yeah. one, yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I know that was a very big scheme. I know they had some technical issues with it after opening as well, with bearings crushing mm-hmm. and things. Like that. I think a bit of work had to be done. I remember yeah, it was I think one of the it... first schemes, Dunk, just to mention about it. was fun, the first schemes that use average speed cameras uh, in roadworks. Was it really? Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. That's interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, bearing failure, I think the old viaduct, when, that, when all the work was finished, the bearing failed or something happened so the decision was taken to again put roadworks on the m6 and remove and replace a lot of the bearings again this caused pretty horrific congestion as well but it's you know it is it's it's there now so it's it's an impressive it's an impressive section of motorway that the whole thing between the m56 all the way up really to the m55 there's so many things going on m65 m55 mm-hmm. all these junction types you, you see it all really don't you in that that stretch very busy yeah one to avoid at peak times if yeah. you can help it particularly yeah. on busy summer weekends i find yeah yeah Absolutely. um yeah last wee bit sorry uh, pressing to tell we've got services at charnock richard charnock richard services do we like charnock richard i've stopped there a few it's, times it's all right yeah, yeah it's all right i was one sort of on a, a work a uh, visit with a group of guys and somebody had had too much alcohol on the bus and there was a big pile of Jaffa cake boxes stacked high in this display in Charnock Richard and he fell into it and the whole lot (laughs) fell right over. So we very quickly abandoned our visit to Charnock Richard and carried on with the journey. (laughs) Just to clarify, Um, I wasn't the colleague, uh, Stuart. John John doesn't know the colleague that we're discussing, um, (laughs) but we'll leave it there. (laughs) It's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's as far as our knowledge goes. It's also as far as our opening booth looks go. Beyond there, we've got, I think we've got a little bit about Birmingham, but we don't own much else. I don't know if there's much else produced, but we've got yeah. most I of the think north you've run out of road, uh, Duncan, I suppose, yes, with your knowledge. And run out of road, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a bit kind of taken aback by how much you managed to share in that time. And it has been a Christmas treat. We've never gone down kind of that far. But listen, Duncan, thank you very much for that. That, that was very interesting. You've Clearly done a lot of research on that. I know the listeners will be fascinated by some of the facts and figures. You know, there's really no other podcasts uh, covering UK roads construction, so we're probably the first people actually to talk about the M6. No doubt we'll probably be asked to do a follow-up and maybe give a bit more detail on some other stuff. So, you know, by all means, uh, you know, keep researching, come back and do that. And you know what? Thanks for that effort and so much. So you're going to get some sleigh bells. (laughs) So I think there's sleigh bells lined up just for you so here you go another one just for you thank you wonderful so christmas energy christmas absolutely feel the christmas energy uh and we're (laughs) going to have some music playing as as we talk about these questions as well these listener questions we have to as you say get this christmas vibe going you know (laughs) the the christmas festivities are Mm. strong here um so (laughs) listener questions you've you asked people to submit questions we got a few in yes Uh, we've got some yeah i go on then let's take us through the first Let's go for the first three. Yeah. Start off. 
Yeah, first three, that's fine. So we're going to start off with uh, G.I. Donaldson. And his question is, is the national speed limit sign on the M80 between junction 2 and 3 northbound wrong? Should it not be a 70? John, I'm going to give this to you. Could you? Yeah, you know about signs and things. Do I? Oh, fantastic. Um, no, the, the M80 yeah. on, the, on that section is 50 mile an hour limit. I don't think that the sign is wrong. Uh, in any section there, um, <laughs> the the one of the reasons. But it's more should it be seventy miles an hour at the end of that, rather than why is it national speed limit instead of the seventy? Oh, is this yeah? So the M80 has got NSL roundels rather than seventies, which are usually visible on Scottish yeah. motorways. Um, I, mm. I think it probably comes down to the fact I wonder if the design was team based in uh, for that particular section was was based elsewhere in the UK or even Ireland. Um, and, and they've just assumed, oh, it's mm. NSL, the same as England, not realising we use 70s traditionally. Oh, I see here. what the question is saying now. Yeah, okay. no, that is a thing in Scotland. It is strange. You see these 70T roundels, but it is just an exception for the rule uh, with, with Scotland. I think, Stuart, probably mm. your hypothesis and why it's come about with maybe people not being familiar with that went, well, we'll put we'll mm-hmm. put in seven, uh, NSLs and, mm. and that's just the way it is. But it means the same thing. I mean, you're on a motorway. When you get to that national speed yeah. limit, you're, you're following the national speed limit. It doesn't make anything different it's just a quirk to be honest yeah. a, a bit of a boring answer I, to, yeah. to a great so question legal and-, and am i right in saying john and you'll know better than me on this one queensferry crossing does it have national speed limit roundels as well instead of 70s i think it does they certainly it? um I, I think i've seen them on the overhead gantries uh used on those things but no I've- are you not seeing the signs on the a90 section south of the queensferry Ah, uh, that well, that's the special road section. Bit, and you you can't use NSLs mm-hmm. on special roads. You've got to use the seventy because it might mean something. Oh, you have to use the seventies on the on, on the, the on special, the special roads. roads. Otherwise, it could technically mean. And this is according to somebody else. If you put na- um, mm. a national speed limit sign on special road, it could mean that there is no speed limit at all. There's a special road that isn't a motorway has some some strange rules according to that, but. We we have raised more questions than we someone will come in and be like, "Oh no, it's because no. of this." Yeah. We're going to have to have a speed limit podcast. Yeah, I know people get very excited about that. All right, thing, but I'm ready for the next question if if, if yeah. you've got more. All right, yeah. So Grazy Fifty Five, uh, do you think they should have made the Queen's Ferry crossing three lanes? Absolutely, yes. Mm. Uh, there is a phenomenon that goes on at the bridge, okay, where everybody just seems to slow down at the fact that it is a bridge. And I I think some some of the arguments made is Mm. if you made it three three lanes, it'd just be another lane for people to slow down on. But to me, it's it's, you would have a kind of continuation of that three lane capacity that you currently have south of the bridge. You'd have that going over and it would make, it seems Mm. like an awful lot of money to spend. Uh, and and a lot of time spent and, and a lot of disruption during that period and your net gain is a, a hard shoulder and and some windproofing you know so no it should have been three lanes it was going mm. to be three lanes under, yeah. under previous proposals um but yeah we know the you know the setting forth studies report. from yeah. the 90s noughties they were going to have much more capacity heading south towards the bridge and i think going north as well but this was cut back when the Queen's Ferry Crossing discussions were going on. I think Edinburgh objected to it considerably. They uh, they didn't want any more traffic going into Edinburgh, so they said we'll keep it as two lanes. When, you know, the Queen's Ferry Crossing serves Edinburgh and West Lothian and East Lothian and connects to the City Bypass and connects to the M8 and the M9 and the A1. 
So it's you know, Edinburgh haven't read the room. It's, with a, that. it's a funny it argument. Is that that. The Queensway crossing is a strategic mm-hmm. crossing in connection. It's not just a local road expressway yes. to Edinburgh. I think before with the with the fourth road bridge and before the M9 spur was com- completed, you know, certainly people would be would be naturally channeled towards Edinburgh. But since the the spur yeah. came along, uh, it changed that completely and. I'm sorry, but mm. we we missed the trick there. It should should really have been three legs. Yeah, and likewise, had the if the Barton bypass had gone ahead as well, that would have helped even more exactly. to prevent that situation. Because people yeah. then would have gone, mm. bar, they wouldn't have gone all the way through to Cramond exactly. But yeah, yeah, yeah. This is something I am interested in because you know I have spent many hours of my life sitting at that crossing, crossing, queuing up. To cross over, yeah, and I did look at the yeah. traffic flows um, heading south across the bridge after the bridge, where you know the A ninety splits off and then it becomes the M ninety heading towards Newbridge and things. The majority of the traffic is heading down to Newbridge, not down to Edinburgh. The, the, so it's, the solution it's is that, easy yeah. without adding a, th- a three uh, third lane. Is that the, the fourth road bridge itself is reopened to traffic that purely is for local journeys or, or taking the A ninety, and mm. the Queensfree is just used for traffic heading to the spur uh, and to the strategic network. You separate the mm. traffic out. You're not adding that extra lane, which was obviously a condition of the planning for that new new bridge. Um, but but there you go. You know, mm-hmm. it, it it's like that. It's just the connections at the south of the Fourth Road Bridge that kind of quash that a little bit yeah, you... because there's, there's it's slip roads at the south side and you have to go through Queen's Ferry where at the north you come off the come off the roundabout. Yeah. You know, you would need to you need to it's, it's funny, it's funny that to one. do it, but it's doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes, it should of have course. been three lanes. That was an over. easy question. More crossing. like that. We'll probably have another <laughs> discussion about that another time. But yeah. <laughs> so. Our last question here for the time being is from John Andershaw. John Andershawn and A726 extension to Paisley, question mark. So that, I don't know much about the A726, so I'm hoping you guys will be able yeah, to this, this, help out with this that. This is probably one for me then. So A726 extension to Paisley, well, there, there is no proposal to extend the A726 to Paisley. I presume this gentleman is referring to the Glasgow Southern Orbital route being extended round to Paisley from where it ends at the minute on the M77. So historically... Uh, as part of the highway plan for Glasgow and even pre-highway plan for Glasgow there were proposals for the C-Ring Road which would have extended a dual carriageway class road all the way to Paisley along the corridor of the A726 that would have connected with the M73 or what became the M73 Uh, those plans were later superseded by the Greater Glasgow Transportation Study uh, that proposed a Paisley to Hamilton to Cumbernauld motorway that was in an all new corridor away from the A726 um, they obviously didn't go ahead. Uh, GSO, Glasgow Southern Orbital, then came along as a sort of an Eaglesham bypass uh, later on. But that's the end of it, as far as as far as we know. There's there's no proposals to do anything more. I believe Renfrewshire Council and East Renfrewshire Council may have proposals to improve the road network heading into Barhead from the M77 up at Maidenhill, uh, straightening out some of the bends and things as it you know swings past the reservoirs. Yeah. That's a city deal thing. But as far as I know, that is or- it. How do you pr- pronounce this? Here? It's Oars mm. Road, Ayers Road, Oars. Or is it, is it Oars Road, Road? I think. Yeah, there's, Aye, there's, yeah. A, there's a job to do that. In, in this game mm-hmm. that Glasgow doesn't have an orbital motorway, uh, it's unusual to other cities. If they, if, if any new big road was going to be built around Glasgow, it'd probably be quite a, a likely candidate, um, considering they don't yeah. really want to build roads in the town anymore. 
and and of course as we've discussed many times the topography surrounding Glasgow obviously dictates a bit where roads go because we've got hilly ground to the south hilly ground to the north huge conurbation in the valley in between and it's a bit difficult mm. to squeeze any ring roads as you see in um, in amongst all these existing developments and all this sprawl that's sort of happened in the last 67 Unless years you as well tunnel, of course but you know we need a lot of money for these things indeed mm. yes good questions though there we go yeah some good questions yeah. here Duncan so that's, that's the first three mm-hmm. we'll hold it off for the rest for the time being I think okay just build up and then I think where are we go next. So we heading over to John. John Corner. John Corner. A bit of, uh, With bit what of time's got left? Yes. For John me. Corner. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got a hard act to follow here, mind you. But um, it's it's something I want to talk about. So it's it's the winter maintenance. It's the gritting. I want to talk about this, um, mm-hmm. and we have touched on it before, Stuart. We've done a podcast which has kind of covered some parts of this. People have asked questions about it, but because it's Christmas, because it's been a while, um, it's good. It fits in the theme of what we're talking about today. So this time of year, um, it really means one thing for me at work. It means winter maintenance. Um, and a lot for, for a lot of the drivers out there on the roads as well, when it starts getting cold and we start getting snow, we want to be ready for winter. We're always told this. Uh, so it actually does affect all of us. So, um, yeah, it's only fair that we can, we can talk about this. So, um, Stuart, you're a bit of a weather guy. You like forecasts. And Duncan, you obviously live very far away up north in a kind of polar environment where we've got permafrost. And, and <laughs> you'll, you'll like uh, talking about this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I work as a winter decision maker. Uh, it was one of the many hats I wear uh, at, at my, my job on the Southwest Trunk Road unit. And uh, it's a good thing because it gives me a lot of knowledge uh, and some experience. I've done it for a number of years to kind of t- talk about what this process is and what's behind it. Because people have questions about it all the time. Uh, and, you know, we'll have a bit of fun with it. There's always those famous Scottish gritter names that go around on social media. At- oh, they're yes, they are, Duncan. They? And- Love them. I love them so much. They're great. <laughs> Good. I, I love them too. I know Stuart had requested it uh, as something that we cover with the, the Gritter name. So we'll we'll go over that. So look, we'll get stuck in. We'll talk about it. And uh, I've got some questions for you guys. So you better be on your toes. All right. So um, the Winter Fleet. So I'm talking about trunk roads here. Uh, it has a total of 240 Gritters across scotland uh and that's they, they cover about 42 different depots in the trunk road network between bear uh really in in the kind of the north and the southeast and amy in the southwest and the northeast along with some other companies on uh, the dbfo contracts like the, the aberdeen bypass and, and autolink which um you know we were talking about before the call uh as well as an instant response vehicles and includes enhanced patrol provision around parts of the network as well so big operation a lot of vehicles involved in this uh, a lot of people the winter service season actually runs all the way from october to may didn't know if you guys knew that oh i didn't know that all, all the way to me i thought it would be finished around march but all the way to May. i well. have seen snow in may guys uh, i am from the the northeast I, I have seen weather get pretty cold at that time of year it's not common but uh, it can happen so it has to cover this period uh, of october to may that we're doing that so 
I spoke about that's just the trunk roads, right? We all know here, I mean, we work in, with trunk roads ourselves, but we know that actually the, what make up the majority of the miles and the Scottish road network are the local roads. So we have to give a shout out to uh, all the local authorities who are doing all our streets, making sure, you know, outside the schools are clear and all the footways and stuff like that as well. It's 32 different local authorities. So I haven't got a figure on how many gritters they've all got collectively, but it's probably safe to say we're somewhere near a thousand gritters and winter service vehicles around Scotland, uh, you know, during, during these incredibly busy periods that happen. So uh, as I work in the industry and people, you know, I know have a hand in how the roads are treated, something I get asked all the time by, by people, especially who don't, who don't work in it, is why are they outgritting? Well, it's not even cold. I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail, yeah. but how do I arrive at the decisions? How do, as a winter decision maker, do I decide when I'm going to treat the roads, uh, how much I'm going to treat them with, and what times? Now, we obviously follow a matrix. All this information is available uh, online if people want to go in and look into the, the operating contract of, uh, of, of Amy in the southwest or Bear in, in the northwest. Uh, but basically, we, we, we go out and we start treating roads when it goes down to uh, one degrees, plus one degrees uh, on the surface. Um that there is again based on how cold it's going to be is how much treatment we're going to put put out on it and that is that information we get from weather stations so we've got weather stations all over the trunk road network you might see these little things we all kind of maybe know what a weather station looks like with a little kind of wind gauge on it uh and they've got all kinds of quite fancy doohickeys associated with them like road surface temperatures and cameras and stuff like that and they're dotted around to give us a picture of, of actually what's happening out there uh, and this this information is actually given to a forecaster who builds up our forecast over, over the course of the day puts it together and says right the m74 is going to be really cold at two in the morning so you you, you better come up with, with with something to do and i want to say something here as well we treat roads based on road surface temperature not air temperature so if you get in your car and it's saying four degrees it's often about give or take two or three degrees lower for road surface temperature, whatever you see in the car. That's why your car makes that dinging noise when it goes below four. Well, my car does. I'm not sure about yours, guys, but it goes ding. I think most cars yeah, do know, don't Because it? it's getting yeah. cold on that road surface. So we treat on road surface temperature. Okay. So if any of those, those road surface temperatures start to drop below or one degree plus one and below, we, we start treating them. And we carry out what we call precautionary uh, treatments there. Uh, and we also patrol roads uh, with, with gritters uh, that are loaded with grits, not necessarily treating uh, if those temperatures are uh, around about plus two as well, okay? The amount we treat on really depends on how cold it gets or the state of the road. Wet roads require heavier treatment. And if there are indicators that we have things like hoarfrost or snow or ice, then we have to up up the treatments as well so you, you guys are following me um sounds pretty easy we're still with so, you yeah common sense so far mm -hmm. falling asleep because it's really a very hard responsible <laughs> job this well wake them up with the jingle bells hey you know? got sleigh bells that's great <laughs> okay so um we call them gritters uh on the trunk roads uh but they actually use pre-wet brine treatment so we call pre-wet treatment and it's actually a brine mix so it's kind of water and, and salt solution that's sprayed down the road in, in addition to the salt that's put out the back. This means 
that the treatment doesn't blow away when the wind picks up. So you've often seen, if you guys have been behind gritters and they're chucking the stuff everywhere uh, and they can just sit on the road, but if passing traffic can blow that away or, or the wind can pick up, it's not great. So we actually put down that solution, but that is the stuff that makes your car incredibly mucky. It's the brine. So there you go. Not every um, road authority uses brine, but you know where, where I work, we, we certainly do that. So another thing is when, when we get very low temperatures out there, we start to use our fancy de-icing chemicals. So salt on the roads is actually only effective really up to about minus 10. Beyond that, it really loses its effectiveness. So we've got to start mixing in de-icers. Now, this is where it gets very expensive. So we start to use a solution called potassium acetate. Uh, and we also use this on structures. Now, Stuart, you know what salt can do to 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 our major bridges. Oh yes, salt and water and concrete and steel reinforcement do not go well together. No, they do not. So there's many bridges. Erskine being a good one, Kingston, another example where we've got to make sure that we turn off the salt and start putting out the de-icer. And it's very similar to the type of stuff that you actually pop on your windscreen so you're getting the picture that our treatments are pretty kind of proactive and preventative but sometimes you get precipitation which can really complicate things so one of the things is this, you get wash off so here's here's my day i've got the forecast in at lunchtime okay it's gonna start getting cold around about midnight so i'm thinking all right i'm gonna get my gritters out at least an hour or two before that but then there's rain coming in before that it's it's difficult because the rain can wash these treatments off now guys a wet road can become an icy road dry roads can still get icy if you have the likes of hoarfrost and things like that and that's to do with your your humidity and your dew point temperatures and all that wonderful complicated stuff so uh, speaking about precipitation um what's what's the main precipitation we think of in winter Snow. snow there it is i haven't got sleigh bells but there you go snow get sleep and things <laughs> things like that so the trick with snow okay get a treatment down before you get the snow and it, it, it creates what's called a debonding layer uh, on that and you need cars to run this debonding layer uh, and make it work so you need the cars to kind of run on top of it now in my experience it never happens because the snow loves to come down at three and four in the morning and uh, it all comes down and then you've got to get the plows down to try and clear it with these things now there have been some spectacular snow events uh, in scotland at least two big ones in my memory uh, one was the winter of 2010 which was really bad you know a lot of people were we're, we're, we're kind of stranded on the roads and the, the sheer amount, what, what really happened there was just the sheer amount of snow that came down at that time and hit in peak, peak traffic. So traffic was in congestion, not moving. The snow was just coming down. It couldn't get run in and it just kept coming and coming and coming and coming. The winter service vehicles couldn't get through. People were going on with the hard shoulders and blocking them. Uh, and, and, you know, if to look at it as a case study of these sorts of things, that is really honestly some of the worst case scenarios you can get. There was, of course, in 2017 into 2018, we had uh, the Continental Air Mass that came from, you know, from the east, which was then known as the Beast from the East, which we got a lot of snow coming with that one as well. So there you go. Stuart, you know lots about air masses uh, and, and how air moves around uh, in these <laughs> things. Full mm -hmm. of hot air, as always. But um, Indeed. Was the 2010 winter, was that a continental sort of thing that came from the east that gave us that hard time? 
the for god from memory you're, you're testing my memory now i believe much of 2010 actually came from the north and northeast mm-hmm. um at that point so it was more like act arctic air masses than okay. continental the continental air masses like those like the beast from the east for example if you get that in november it will be nowhere as potent as it would be come march because the continents obviously had time to cool down particularly siberia through russia if you get one of these huge high pressure cells uh where where you know air is is going you know in a clockwise direction around it and it then suddenly floods all this air in you know from the east across this really cold continent it will be really cold but early winter cold snaps tend to come from the north and the northeast yeah. occasionally the northwest you'll get showers from the northwest but they're mostly sleet rather than yeah. snow unless the, the the conditions are just right thank um, you very much Stuart fish for that uh wonderful <laughs> uh, i know you like your weather so i had to, I had to let you know but no that that's that's fine so um guys a little fact for you did you know that all uh rain actually falls as snow in the upper atmosphere it starts to snow. Well, oh, here we go. Oh, well, actually, well, no, it generally well, does. It, it does. Uh, it starts to snow, and then it obviously <laughs> turns into rain as it as it gets lower uh, to the ground. However, has any do, do any of you guys know what freezing rain is? Is, is that not Canadian? <laughs> <laughs> it happens in Canada a lot, and it causes <laughs> havoc, actually. But do, do you know what it is? No, I, th- I think you best give us your, your scientific description okay. of it. Duncan, you never heard of freezing rain, I assume. What? That's probably a very technical word. It's, not, it's, it's the nastiest it. thing that can ever happen uh, in terms of precipitation is where you get that that uh, that cold air where, where it falls of snow and then it melts as it goes through the warm air. The cold air is always near the ground hmm. and the water becomes super cold. What happens is when that rain, which is super cold, hits the ground, what does it do? It turns everything to glass. It, it freezes on impact uh, and just and just makes instant black ice. This is rare in the UK. Uh, you'll know it's happened because you go out and you'll see your car is like an ice cube. It, it, it's almost like a completely clear, colourless sort of ice on it, and it's just the black ice that you get on it. Very difficult to treat. Um, you know, there've been occasions where critters have come off the road when you get freezing rain. It can be quite localised in some areas, but nasty, nasty stuff. Uh, and Stuart said about what happens in Canada, uh, brings down power lines. It causes devastation on on kind of interstates and motorways, you know, when that, that comes along because it's just so slippery and salting and that doesn't really work on it because it just freezes right over the top of it. So there you go. Do you know how many routes, guys? Another question for you. How many routes we treat in the Southwest unit? How many gritters we could have out at once? Well, that must be quite a few, is it? Maybe 20? 27 more than that maybe 27 yeah. we have so um yeah that's 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 what we've got there so that is really all i want to say about the the winter maintenance side of it i, I just want to take a chance to kind of thank uh, not only my colleagues who i know and have to work in this uh, these things but everyone involved in the process across the nation working in control rooms and the guys out doing the footways uh, and everything because operational or otherwise, everyone involved in this process is, is giving up their time during the night and over the festive period to deliver this, to, to you know, to keep the roads safe and to keep things going. And myself included will be, be working over Christmas and New Year while you guys are uh, tucking into your, 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 your Boxing Day trimmings, you know. So, yeah. Should have been a bridge Well, there you go. But uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't study hard enough for that. Yeah. So that's a step. So, guys, do you think... It is, it, is quite, it is quite important this because 
you know, if we have to shut the M74 mm-hmm. or the A1 or the A9 in particular, it causes havoc. Yes. It causes havoc, you know, because so it is, it is quite an important thing. But it, it's good. Thank you for telling me about that because it is just one of these things that just kind of happens over winter and everyone sees the gritters and then by May they're all gone. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see this is what they're actually doing. No, no, no it is. And uh, the journey starts at 6 a.m. every morning with checking the forecast, getting everything ready. And as I said, there's a lot of vehicles involved in it. And even when it's not the winter period, we're getting all the vehicles ready. We're training the drivers on the new routes. Somebody said to me the other day at work, he said, said to me about Amy, he said, we're just a winter maintenance company doing other road things, meaning that he's saying we're so important. What we do is is winter at the very core or, of it, you know, winter's really really important so that's it but talking about weather and christmas who here wants to put a bet on if it's going to be a white christmas what do you think Stuart? most christmases in the uk are technically classified as white christmases because only one flake of snow needs to fall on a met office monitoring site for that to be the case however widespread snow events at christmas in the uk are very rare and i think since 2010 there have only been two where there has been more than 50 percent of the uk landmass had has had lying snow um statistically you're more likely to get snow in march than you are at christmas as well particularly with the climate changing around us as we mentioned a bit earlier so you thank go. you Stuart, for that very dry scientific and humbug answer but there you go it's probably not going to be a white christmas so don't get your hopes i did look at the long range and the, it doesn't look the like it. forecast at the moment and now we're recording this on the 17th right. uh so christmas is still over a week away and it's looking a bit borderline at the, the minute the friday actually, is getting cold but then by the time the monday rolls mm-hmm. around for christmas day the temperatures are going back up i yeah. see so We'll exactly. see. So maybe not cool. this year. Right. Mm-hmm. I know we've only got a few minutes left in the segment. Stuart's got some really important news to talk about, but we're going to have a bit of fun. All right. Um, Scottish oh, Gritters. We need the sleigh bells for that. Yes. So <laughs> many sleigh bell mentions I'm getting here. It's great. So um, Scottish Gritters, uh, they are all named. Uh, and this is a big thing on social media. Yes, they are. Uh, I think, God, I wish you could see my face. <laughs> my face right now. It's, it's brilliant. Oh. Yeah. That's exactly why we're doing this because we know that he's gone green like the Grinch. All these funny names. Do you know they were initially named by school children in local schools? They they were doing it, but yay! yay, There we go. Uh, But (laughs) guess what? It wasn't just the the preserve of children after the pandemic because they opened it up to everyone online, meaning that much wider audience could get in on the fun. Uh, And it's always fraught with danger of getting people on the internet to name things. Boaty McBoatface being a good example, but given the great mm. comedy that the Scottish people are, are, are known to, to hold within themselves, uh, it has brought up some, <laughs> what we would refer to as belters. So I'm going to read some out to you guys, uh, and I want you to rate them. These are gritter names. Oh. Okay. Right, okay. I'm excited. I'm excited. Right? Naturally, the best ones are in the Southwest, so I started with these. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Gritney Spears. Oh, God. That's, oh, that's a cracker. Okay, here's that a, is a historical cracker, one, Roman-themed. I came, I thaw, I conquered. Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Oh. Like that one. Uh, this is a good one. <laughs> um, a Star Trek reference for those who like Star Trek. Snow Trooper for Storm Trooper. Oh, that's Star Wars. Sorry. <laughs> you know, he is such an... Because he knows I'm a Star Trek fan and he uses these bloody Star Wars references, which, by the way, is the worst science fiction franchise ever. And he just throws them in there. 
So you know what? I revoke your sleigh bells from the last time. <laughs> He's going to edit them out, and it's going to sound very strange just referencing them there. He is. I right, I've got know. a few more. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> I'm not finished. All right, sweet child of brine. Guns and oh, Roses. God. Ah, that's all right. It's all right. It's okay. 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 That, okay, that, that one. Good. Okay. It's all right. Calvin Harris. Har ice. No, but the, listen, this hell? one's What's clever on? because it's based near Dumfries, one of our depots there, and mm. Calvin Harris is actually from Dumfries. So a bit of thought went into that. Oh, okay. I this is a good oh. one, right? You're a blizzard, okay. Harry. You're a wizard, Harry. Oh, Harry Potter. That is great, That's that it. one. That's no. it. <laughs> no. Harry Potter, we'll, yeah. we'll finish up with a couple no. of James Bond ones. Uh, you you oh, only no. grit ice. You only live twice. Oh, jeez. That's so great. <laughs> Love that one. This is good. <laughs> On Her Majesty's Slippery Surface. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, brilliant. No. No. I like um, Spready, yes, Spready Mercury. You heard of that yep. one? Gritter Thunberg. Gritter that's Thunberg. another one. That's a South Lanarkshire Council one. Oh, I didn't get the council ones up. Or a Goni Snow Day. That. Goni that's Snow Day. Oh, oh look at one. you guys. You're Googling them now. You're getting well into this. It's fantastic. Mm. Um, uh, Duncan's just making the point that the beer ones are better than the Amy ones, I think. Is that, yeah. They're really they're fun. This is a fun thing. Yeah. It's a competition between these two. You know, I have to be the middleman between them at times. You know? Oh, dear. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I think we better cut this conversation on ice and move on to the next. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Stuart's really starting to grit I... his teeth now. Yeah, I really should have muted your mic about 10 minutes ago. But, uh, yeah, okay, John, thank you. Can I you. get some sleigh bells? A wonderful no. topic ruined by that cringe fest at the end. Uh, you oh, can have love half it. a sleigh bell. John, John, a yearly feature. A I yearly think, feature I think I'll be kicked off. This is my last podcast now. I think. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, you're, you're out. Yeah, John, John is now out. John is now no, out. No problems. Well, listen. Thanks yeah, for letting okay. me talk about winter maintenance. But that that's that's all I've got. Unless you guys have some burning questions about it, but I assume you don't. No, 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 definitely not. Definitely not any burning questions about it. But I think we are going back to listener questions Mm -hmm. as per my sheet of paper here. Uh, Mr. McKnight, do you have more questions for for John? (laughs) We do do have some more questions, yeah. We've got this one here. What is the best Gritter name? We've just (laughs) covered this, but I've got... I think he's pulling your leg, John. That's not a question. Unfortunately, that's not a question. Hopefully but I'm happy to we'll answer some. it, Duncan. But, so, yeah. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> anyway, uh, this one here from Chris Kajawa, uh, and he says, I've been unfortunate enough this year to make use of the Edinburgh City Bypass. Chris, I'm very sorry <laughs> about that. Uh, given the chance, what would you do to improve the traffic flow on it? Uh, <laughs> should I go, should I go first? I think that this is easy be. in some ways, because uh, the Sheriff Hall upgrade, that's already sitting there on the shelf ready isn't it so that that would improve it but an improvement there must also be made at, at old, old craig hall because improving sheriff hall could potentially lead to, to other problems at old craig hall but the, the problem is capacity particularly between hermiston drakehorn and lothian burn so it's a case of really widening these areas it is a real realistically it could be done if uh, i was god however I'd probably build a parallel route that would bypass um, Hermiston altogether. There you go. That's my answer. Yeah, you could, you could, you could widen it, add a lane each side. But there are there are tricky bits. 
on it. Um, Waterloo, Waterloo Leith, Babbitton, Bridge, yep. at Hermiston Gate. That would be a challenge. There's a bit near the Water of Leith, um, like just beyond there, where there's like a retaining wall on top Barberton. of a retaining wall. Yeah. So there's mm-hmm. yes, at Barberton. You've got the the aqueduct as well, so it would be difficult. Plus, you've got to keep the traffic going while you're widening it. So, yeah. always tricky. That would be an expensive prospect, I think, um, for the bypass. But I don't really know what else they can really do other than consider widening, unless there's a significant reduction in the amount of traffic using it. I think, given most of its strategic traffic, you know, avoiding Edinburgh, it's difficult to try and you know sort of cut those numbers, you know, too much. Although probably not helped by the the amount of sprawl that's going on around the south of Edinburgh as well, that's uh, encouraging a lot. There's a lot I going on around that traffic. Mm-hmm. It suffers yeah, yeah, from M twenty five syndrome. It's too convenient. Too many junctions. Too convenient. As John Cullen mm. used to say, we don't build motorways at costs of hundreds of millions of pounds, so that no one will use them. Yes. So it's, you know, it's that old point again, you know, we don't build a road and, and hope that no one's going to use it. We tend to build them in places where we need roads because people need to get mm. about and that's kind of what we've done here. I think sometimes we forget yes. that. Absolutely. <laughs> it's busy because it's very we're well used. to the choir exactly. here, lads, uh, yeah. so, yes. <laughs> Exactly. Okay, Duncan, what next have we got? What's next? All right. Uh, next up, Michael McCulloch. Uh, there's a quick one here. Got any more info on the A8 from Woodhall Roundabout to Newark Roundabout in Port Glasgow? Picture That's a new question. That, <laughs> sure is. Uh, A8 uh, Inverclyde. Um, yes, we've got one or two more bits and bobs, Michael. Maybe not. A wee bit mysterious. Yeah, a bit mysterious still. Not just enough maybe to pull an article together on it yet, but Duncan and I actually were talking about an A8 page for the website fairly recently, so mm-hmm. we'll probably try and get something up through 20 24 so so stay tuned as soon as there is anything you will know about it because you'll see it on social media first <laughs> yep exactly so next one here we've got Graham Yule, our friend Graham Yule. big shout out to Graham Yule. It's a big help to us doing podcasts and doing research thank you very much for yep. all your help sleep, sleep bells for Graham <laughs> sleep bells for Graham <laughs> I thank hope you enjoyed Graham. that Graham so his question, uh, as you are heading north from the A9, on the A92 from the Red House roundabout at Kirkcaldy towards Glenrothes, there's a very short section of what appears to be a slip road coming in from the left, heading south from Glenrothes, Glenrothes towards the Red House roundabout. There is also what appears to be a slip road. Was there any plans to create a free-flowing link around this area? Uh, these are user laybys, but um, yeah, could they, are these anything else? So Glenrothes and all that area is a bit mysterious for us. We do have stuff, but it's a wee bit uncollated. Um, but I have had a look at the stuff, and Glenrothes is one of these one areas where there was much grander road plans for um, for the area. I mean, look if you look at the entire area, it looks very much kind of half built. There is a lot of space for improvements and widening and more capacity. We know, looking at some of the drawings, that at this location, at the moment, we've got the Red House roundabout. Just to the east of it, there would have been uh, a what's called a three-level stack roundabout. So we've got roads crossing each other with a roundabout linking them in the middle, kind of like Bayliston, but a bit mm-hmm. simpler than what Bayliston is. Um, so I think... <laughs> That, you know, this is where our knowledge kind of disappears. We don't know how long these plans existed because the Thornton Bypass, which that bit has the slips, was built in 1983. And we don't know if in 1983 they were still wanting to build a big four-level stack, uh, bearing in mind that the East Fife Regional Road came along in 1990 and probably put that roundabout in. 
we're just not sure, but we know that there was bigger plans for that for that area. But it's one one to talk about more in our A ninety two discussion. Yeah, it gives you a wee research point, Duncan, to go away with when you when you mm-hmm. put that one together. It's the beauty of the archive, yep. Duncan. You always end up with more work. There you go. <laughs> more work. Yeah, thank you, Graham. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> All right, okay. Thank you, yeah, I think we've got time for yep. one more, Duncan. We have one more question. Um, Andrew Ronald has sent a question. Wildlife Bridge. There are a couple in the AWPR, but are there many across Scotland? And are they monitored to see how well they are used? Uh, so the one on the Aberdeen bypass, the AWPR, is just north of that roundabout at Clean Hill. Oh, yes. You notice there's... It's not really a road. It connects... Yeah, it connects forestry. And that's an environmental structure basically it's it's not gonna have tarmac on it it's gonna be sort of grass to encourage wildlife over the road the other one is not really a bridge it's more of a long culvert and it's on the cross tail link road that's currently under construction at Perth there's a big north south connection going to be over the road and the road's gonna go underneath this big culvert and as far as I'm aware, that's that's as that's that's as many as we've got in Scotland. Is there not one on the new section of the A9? If you've got any more bits and pieces, you know the the section at um, Longkitty. Would they build any one one of them there? Or there is something good. No, is there not something over are... that though, Duncan? That looks a bit green. Or is it just a green bridge? Mm. No. Maybe. They're all access bridges, but they might the, the smaller ones might have bits of yeah. green on them to yeah. to make a sort of a wildlife road. <laughs> But there's there's no full green bridges. Maybe on the future A9 dueling they might put in some more, but I've not seen any on the plans. There are a couple of fish creeps under the new M8 between Bailston and Newhouse, which you probably didn't know about. I, I remember those going in. Fish creeps. Mm-hmm. They're now yep. in the businesses. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was an ecological mitigation measure. As, uh, yes. Put them in as. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. In terms of how they're monitored, I don't imagine they are actively monitored. Um, but I suppose it would be fairly easy to go in yeah. and, and sort of get an idea of what was using them, if anything, uh, after a few yeah. years. Yeah. We know that you know Aberdeen Roads do look after that, and I imagine they do have an environmental team that monitors such things. So we'll probably have to speak to them. We don't know. But, Sounds uh, like another podcast. They want to see how well we need to get work. environmentalists on or an ecologist mm-hmm. on to talk about all these things. That's that's another idea, so we'll, oh, we'll put that in a book. It's a great idea. There you go. Yep. Write that in the book. Write that in the book. Okay. Is that? I think that's us, Duncan. I think we've, we've covered a few, a few good questions yep. here. So thanks to the, to the listeners for, for putting them in. Um, that that's that's good, good to see. Um, I think really then just before we we wrap up proceedings and we've been wittering on for for almost an hour and a half now. Uh, <laughs> I think it would be it'd be, it'd be a good <laughs> moment to to just say some thank yous. To various people, uh, you know, for for that. First of all, to all the listeners, both long term and and recent, you know, listeners of the of the Scottish Roadscast. Uh, you know, we hope you enjoy these. I guess you must if you keep coming back to hear them again and again. And thank you because if the numbers weren't there, we, you know, obviously we wouldn't be doing them. So so thank you for that. And we look forward to doing a lot more of them in twenty twenty four. And I know the guys will probably tell us a wee bit about some of the topics um, that that are coming up. 
in 2024 as well but just just generally a few thank yous that i, that I would like to express and firstly to all the, all the other scottish roads archive volunteers that you don't hear on the podcast uh you know there are a number of people behind the scenes that do things for us and, and help us out that you, you know you just don't see so big thank you to them i won't name them all they all know who they are and, and they all listen so so thank you guys for that thanks as well to john and duncan for all their, their continued efforts with these podcasts because obviously quite a bit of work goes into them as well. I mean, okay, I tend to deal mostly with the production side, but the guys do all the research, and I know it does take a bit of time and effort. Duncan in particular this year has done quite a few big topics, so so thanks for that, Duncan. It's much appreciated, yeah. and I know you've got a lot more coming for us down the line. Good work. Yes, Good there's work. more coming, don't mm-hmm. worry. In terms of uh, individuals that, that I did want to to thank, uh, in particular to Barry Old, who who's a long-term uh, sort of a supporter of the of what was the Glasgow Motorway Archive and now the Scottish Motorway Archive. Uh, Barry worked on the M8 Renfrew Bypass and he's been in touch uh, again recently. So Barry, hope you're doing okay and, and thank you. Uh, Ronnie Land and Robin Brown, Duncan, your contacts, ex-Baptist Sean Morton chaps who've been yes. very helpful with a lot of their information as well. Helpful, yeah. so, so definite thanks to them as well. And, and of course, there are a few others. And again, I, w- I won't name them all individually but thank you. You know who you are. We really appreciate it. In terms of organisations that I just wanted to give a thanks to, uh, Historic Environment Scotland, obviously a key a key partner of ours, working with the, the Lane Collection and some of the some of the images and things that we're helping them deal with with their huge roads collection. So thanks to to Andrew and the team there who who have been really really good with us. Uh, oh, that's an oh, we've got that a dog barking there. Was that you, John? Getting excited. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> we'll give it some sleigh bells. Uh, that's good. That's good. Um, Transport Scotland as well, another organisation we have to say thanks to. They've obviously been working very closely uh, with us and in terms of the records and archives that they have, and we're helping them, they're helping us. Uh, on, on the back of that, Glasgow City Council, we had a really, really positive collaboration with the council earlier this year on the, the Clyde Tunnel anniversary and on the, the Clydeside Expressway. Uh, we, we managed to help them digitise a lot of their photos and things, and, uh, and and they obviously allowed us access to some materials. So thank you very much to them and to some of the other organisations. Bear Scotland as well, uh, who, who will all name drop because, again, they've been very supportive of us and have assisted us with some records this year. Uh the special shout out goes to the CIHT in Scotland, the Chartered Institute of Highways and Transportation, who are now, you know, actually supporting the Scottish Roads Archive and, and, and through that, the Scottish Roads Cast. So big thanks to them. And of course, our sponsors, yes. John, who we, we must not forget. So Andy Carruthers and the team uh, and Gail and others done at uh, Eastford Excavations, based down in Forth, civil engineer contractor. Brilliant guys. Thank you very much to and them. And thank you to Nigel and the team at Highway Barrier Solutions uh, for all the support they, they've given us and the, you know, sort of the fantastic kit and so on that we've been able to, to get from that. Those guys have uh, you know, helped enormously with some of the resources that we can now uh, put out here and, and continue doing these podcasts as well. Yeah, and the final thanks that I have lined up, John, and I think this is probably an important one, is to the literally hundreds of people that we have spoken to this yes. year at presentations, <laughs> who have groups that have invited us along to speak to them, uh, you know, the Advanced Motorists. Old Glasgow Club. Uh, you know, old Glasgow Club. Fantastic yes. groups that are, that are on the go, and they invite us along to talk, and we do a variety of topics and things. Always very well received. Everyone's always very kind, yep. always listens intently to what we're saying. So thank you to all of them as well. Absolutely. We've got, we've got to mention we were at the all Road right. Expo, and it was lovely to meet some people there too. 
We did. We did the industry event. Which was the first the time. And I, I was always yeah. a bit skeptical uh, about this. Stuart, you, Stuart, you know, I, I've got to hand it to you. It did go go very well from, from what my impressions were. A lot, a lot of connections Absolutely. made, a lot of new material passed uh, and, and a few other things. And you know what? Thanks to anybody as well who's actually picked up any of our uh, merchandise this year. So in terms of the booklets, the calendars, they have been they hugely have. successful. And I have some feedback on behalf, I think, of people of the calendars. We do need to produce more of these next year because I think we've got a hardcore following now. Stuart of people who buy calendars everywhere year and now we've got even more people who want more so we're gonna to have to make a million I know I think <laughs> I know can you imagine can you imagine the logistics of getting them all posted out and, and I hope everybody did yeah. get them uh, nice and, and in good condition I know you were gonna let us know if you didn't so thank you very much for that all of the proceeds from all of those things we have we have put out this year has obviously meant we can continue to go online even this software that we are using to host this remote podcast is paid for by those contributions so thank you very much for that. It's not cheap running an archive. No. Uh, it's several hundred pounds a month. <laughs> you would be surprised at the, the costs that are actually involved in keeping something like this going, and particularly when yeah, we get... Even exactly Subscriptions yeah, and things, exactly. yeah. Especially when we get no formal funding from anyone. You know, we are self-funded, so and the sponsors obviously help that. So, yeah, thank you very much. I, I'm wittering again, John, so I'm going to come back to you, and Duncan, you can tell us a bit about what's coming up next year for the Scottish Roads Archive and also, more crucially, for the listeners Ooh. for the Scottish Roads Cast. Yeah, I'll, Duncan, I'll go first. I'll talk about the uh, what's coming up for Roads Cast uh, podcast listeners and stuff. We've got uh, some more on the A90 coming next year. We've got the AWPR, uh, which we're going to kind of double in on and have a, a chat about that. There's a really big anniversary coming up next year. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the fourth. Yeah, there's some bridge, yeah. isn't it? Some bridge, exactly. Uh, fourth row bridge. So we're going to talk about that. We've also got Carl Skew as well. So quite good. I would love to get a podcast out to talk about Scotland's new towns and some of the roads in there. You you reminded me when you spoke about Glen Rothis, you know. So there's there's loads of potential. Um, it's going to be a busy year for podcasts and uh, those things there. But Duncan, you could tell us about some of the great it events. Is. You've got yeah. a finger on the pulse with these more than I do these days. Yeah. Hoping to get another podcast out for a road down southwest called the A75. Yes, We've had a lot of information from that. Um, and hoping to do one as well on the A92 and the Tay Bridge. It's one of these ones we've never spoken really no. much about that, but it's good to get that ticked yeah, off. And I'm also hoping to revisit the Glasgow Inner Ring Road. It's been a long time since we spoke about that, and I don't think we've ever really discussed that as a single project. Uh, and given we're, we're kind of just about to close the door on the articles for that, because the South and East Flanks page is finally uh, imminent on the website, uh, it just seems mm-hmm. sensible to, to sort of uh, talk about it again, that everything's online and just close mm-hmm. that one. Because we either talk about that one the out. section that's open or the section that's never built, but never together. Yeah, yeah. never yeah. as one, exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. No, absolutely. Any other big events coming up uh, in the next year? We're, of course, going to be doing our circuit of, uh, of talks. Uh, and you know. Yep, and we'll be back to the Bridgeton bus garage at least two or three times in the summer the as, well. The as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we'll have that. I don't think there's many other events planned at the moment. If that changes, we'll obviously let you know through the social media and whatnot. It's always great when people come and say hello, uh, when people come up and say, oh, I know that voice. <laughs> you know, I, I listen to the podcast <laughs> yeah. and it's like, oh, they know, they know who we are. Before it's they know it's who always they great are. to meet so the fans and laugh. do the autographs and mm-hmm. everything. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> autographs, yeah, very good. Very good. <laughs> Duncan, any final records-related archive points you want to make before we close this one out? Oh, nothing too big from us. I mean, we have had a lot of donations over the the past the past year. We had a lot of uh, new material 
come in. I think my favorite one was there was a there was a campaign in the nineties to improve safety on the A nine, and they produced these little booklets. And we got um, we I didn't know that they were bilingual, so we got a German A nine booklet. So you did Der Highland Highway. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah, we're always on the lookout for new information. We want to know if there was stuff produced or if there wasn't stuff produced. We do work with uh, Amy, we work with Bear, and we work with Transport Scotland, so we're aware of what of what they've got, and we are aware that there are some gaps to fill, which is why we're always asking, look, if you've got any information about you know things like Ballahoolish Bridge or uh, any of the other ro- roads and bridges around Scotland, mm-hmm. let us know, because you know you might have a copy of something that we've never seen before. It's, it's happened before where we've had stuff, and we go, oh, we've never seen that before, so it's, yeah. it's good always ask for that absolutely duncan no that that's absolutely fantastic um just to remind everyone our website is very much available scottishroadsarchive.org there's plenty of information on there we've got a few new pages up there this year a few a few further pages to come in the months ahead as well so keep checking that out um i think that's us for the 2023 christmas special i i don't think there's much else for us to cover a big thank you to everyone again Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all the listeners, including Merry you Christmas. guys, my, my very festive co-hosts, <laughs> uh, to you as well. You. Uh, social media will continue through the holidays. Um, we've got a few new photographs coming. I know Duncan's got some planned. I've got some planned uh, as well. John's got some new then and now posts uh, coming. They'll continue through the holidays as well. So stay tuned for them for your sort of daily fix. And we'll be back in the new year with our normal podcasts and uh, we look forward to seeing you all there so final words to to john thank you you're very welcome and uh, have a lovely christmas and new year to both of you when it comes around yep and duncan any final words to you nothing just merry christmas and a good new year to you guys brilliant well thanks all and we'll see you soon bye for now bye bye goodbye thank you.